Okay, you'll need a Bible uh, on your phones, tablet, iPad, whatever you got, pages, anything at all. And uh, if you have a Bible with you, then 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2. And uh, we're going to read this out and we're going to get stuck in with a lot to say today. And uh, that I hope it's going to encourage us and challenge us, shape us a little bit, set us free a little bit. How about that? All right. And uh, so if you're ready, 1 Samuel chapter 2, and uh, we're going to start from verse 12, reading all the way through to the end of chapter 2. So we got about 14 verses. Can we stand 14 verses in a row? It's not too early. Sure, it's not. We can do this. All right, here we go. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 26. Okay, Eli's sons. Eli was uh, the judge. He was the priest in Israel at this time. And it says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. Okay, what a good way to start the message. They were scoundrels. Rascals, if you will, okay? They had no regard for the Lord. Verse 13. Now, when the, the practice of the priest, now it was the practice of the priest that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan kettle, pot, or cauldron, and whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This was how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept any old boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the person said to him, let the fat be burned first, that's the way, that's the sacrificial way, and then take whatever you want, the servant would say, no, hand it over right now. And if you don't, I'll take it by force. Verse 17, this sin of the young men, Eli's sons, was very great in the Lord's sight. And here's why. Don't get stuck with the fork and the plunging and whatever they were bringing out, okay? That was the kind of the form of the sacrifice at the time. Here's why it was important, because they were treating, verse 17, the Lord's offering with contempt. Verse 18, bang, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Verse 19, if you're familiar with the story of Samuel, each year his mother Hannah made him a little robe and took it to him and she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and may the Lord give you children by this woman to give the place of the one she prayed for and give to the Lord. Then they would go home and the Lord was gracious to Hannah and she gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. What a great place to grow up in. Amen. I know bringing kids to church is a full-time job, isn't it? Sometimes it's like, is this worth it today with all the stuff, especially when they're small? It's a lot of work, but I want to encourage you. Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord, and church is a great place to immerse your kids in. Amen? Verse 22, now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the woman who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, well, you know, God may mediate against for the offender, but... Uh, if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede? Who's left? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And then verse 26, but the boy Samuel continued. Say continued. It's a great word. 
I'll tell you why in a minute. He continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Father, we need your intervention to help us this morning with this message. Would you uh, prepare our hearts and our minds? We're grateful, Lord, for all the ways you have already been moving and working and, and, and shaping faith and building our lives. But we pray as we, as we grapple with this word, God, would you build us, set us free, change us, smash some things up this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said... I've already said to you, our guys have all turned 17. They've all got L-plates. They're all learning to drive, okay? As you know, Peter has bought a little car and a little uh, Opel Corsa thing. And uh, he would... Uh, uh, now, it's, it's a little bit curious. Maybe you can help us on this, actually. It's a little bit curious. A strange thing is starting to happen around our house. So he would, he would grab the keys of the car. He'd open the car door. He'd click it open. He'd get in. He'd put the keys in the ignition. He wouldn't turn it on. He would put the keys in the ignition and he would fix the mirror. He would sit there and then curiously he'd sit and make car driving noises. He'd get in, put two hands on the wheel and go, and then he'd work through the gears. And me and Judith are looking at each other. We're looking at him and he'd never drive the car. He would just get in the car. He would sit in the car and make all the car noises, but he would go nowhere. It's a very, very strange phenomenon. Can you imagine how we feel about that? Now, does anyone think for a second that that story is true? It's not at all. It's not at all true. But can you imagine if it was true? Can you imagine if it was true? Of course, he's getting L plates. He's ripping them off. He's licking both of them, whacking on the windows, and up he goes, doing wonders for our prayer life. But imagine if it was true, okay? Imagine driving the car and not using any of the power. It just makes no sense. Unless, of course, you're Hophni and you're Phineas, the two sons of Eli. Because in this story, okay, and it goes way beyond the illustration of a 17-year-old boy, but what we have in our text this morning is an epic, an epic example of having a car without using any of the power. It is, in our story, all of the religion without any of the faith. It is having a car without wanting any of the power to do any good with it. It is the duty of religion without any of the devotion of faith. And we need that faith to activate and enhance and sustain our relationship with Jesus through the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. Going further, their priesthood, everyone, was a scandal. We opened our verses today and they said that they were scoundrels. It was a joke. It was a disgrace. Verse 12 said they had no regard for the Lord. If you translate that, what that literally means is this. They did not know the Lord. Can you imagine doing church? Doing church and not knowing the Lord. As far as these two boys were concerned, listen to me here, all they wanted from their role as priests was this. Number one, wages without worship. They were just in it for the money. This role played their salary. They weren't tithing, I'd imagine. They weren't giving generously. They were on the take and they were taking everything. Give me the best part of the sacrifice. I'm taking and taking and taking and I just want you to pay my salary. I'm doing this for the money. The second thing was all about par without repentance. 
That's what they wanted, power without repentance. We want all of the authority. We want all the power. We want the best seats in town. We want the finest robes. We want all the finery that comes along, but we don't want anybody speaking into our life. We don't want anybody creating a circumstance in our world that will cause us to think we're doing something wrong and therefore having to repent about it. Thirdly, they were wanting a career without consecration. A career without consecration. What they fail to understand is, and it's good to, for us to remind our hearts with, that ministry for God is the overflow of a relationship with God. No one starts serving God and then falls in love with Him. What happens is He touches our heart, love overflows, and then we want to serve Him and build the church. Number four, they wanted sacrifice without any of the surrender. Give me the sacrifice and expand my physical waistline, but I'm not going to surrender my life to you, Lord, so you can expand my spiritual waistline. I'm not getting bigger in you. I'm getting bigger on the fatted calf. They wanted sacrifice without surrender. And then fifthly, it was all about going through the motion without any of the momentum, rituals without the dynamic nature of relationship. And I'm going to tell you, open arms, I can't think of a worse way to serve the Lord. I can't think of a more awful way, okay, to follow Jesus, to be a Christian in this world. Imagine going through life every single day, having religion without any faith that believes all things are possible, that believes God has a purpose and a plan for my life, that God has a pur purpose and a plan for the people in my life and in my world, and that somehow in some small way I could be a part of that. Imagine going through every day in this religious notion and not understanding or embracing or serving, and we sung about it earlier, the spirit of the living God who rose, rose Christ from the dead, who now lives in me. Imagine that. Imagine not going through life, allowing God to grow you and to shape you, to challenge, rebuke, and comfort in all the things that He does. What an awful way to follow Jesus. Isn't it boring? Religion is boring. Religion is hard work, but Jesus isn't work at all. Amen? And so there's more to this story, though, as well. There's so more. If we then go beyond the boundaries of the temple and you play with a little bit of the kind of the, the historical context, what we find as well lurking and getting ever increasingly threatening is the Philistines. And if you were to read all the way through 1 Samuel, David, Philistine, Goliath, they appear more and more and more. And so the Philistines were pushing back into the national scene. So let me add all this together and paint a fairly bleak picture. We have, first of all, in, in our context here, religious decline. Why? Because there is a dysfunctional priesthood we have a prophetic decline because chapter 3 opens up by saying, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. We have spiritual decline. Eli is the ninth judge, but is compromised by his son's actions. And now we have this Philistine threat with political and military decline. Everything's declining. Everything's on the down, on the chart. They were increasingly dark times. Now, 
it's not like for like in terms of historical narratives, but you know what? And, and we try, at least I do, we try to push a lot of this out of our minds, but even just two or three minutes scrolling the headlines of whatever news app you look at or whatever paper you read or whatever news bulletin you spend time listening to, when we reflect on our global community, on our national community, even our regional and local communities, the world within us and around us is definitely it's threatening looking. And I have to be honest, everybody, the opportunity to encounter hopelessness, I don't think it's ever been more acute. The opportunity to feel overwhelmed by what's going on in the world is really very real at this moment in time. We have unprecedented what would seem to be religious decline, prophetic decline, spiritual decline, political and economic, definitely economic. Yes, another interest rate rise in the north. Half a percent. <laughs> okay, good. All right, and then we have military turmoil everywhere else. Taiwan, Russia's ticking the head, or China's giving it that, and Ukraine, and everything's going on, and then the ripples right across the world from that. It's an incredible moment in time that we are in. And if we were to submerge ourselves in that, you know what? The place would be coming darker and darker and darker and darker. But this is why this message then is so, I think, prophetically important and so personally important for you and for me in the world and in the time that we live in. Because in the middle of this soul-smothering darkness of our story, a light comes on. And the light comes on in a very unusual form. It comes on in the form of a young boy who at this stage is probably no more than three or four years old. And in chapter two, we discover Samuel becomes a light to his world. And I'm kind of reminded of Paul, and he writes to the church in Philippi, Philippians 2.15, he says, do you know what, that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Samuel shone like a star in the sky in this kind of warped and crooked generation in which he found himself in, all the way through the sleeping with the temple girls at the, at the entrance of the gate, all the way through the fat and stealing all of that stuff, we have these little moments where Samuel continued to serve. Samuel wore the ephod. Samuel still served the Lord. In amongst that darkness was little puncture lights of Samuel. The light was coming through. And the truth is this, everybody, no matter how dark his world became, Samuel's love for God shone brighter and brighter and brighter. How do you know? Because verse 26 tells us, it says, the boy Samuel continued. It's why it's so important, everybody. That word is a cracking word in this whole context. He continued to grow in stature and in favor with God and with people. No matter what the boys were up to, he continued to shine. No matter how bad they got, he shone brighter still. It is possible to shine for God in a dark world, everybody. And I want to encourage you, you can do it. Sometimes we worry about stepping into places. We worry about the friends of our kids sometimes. Oh, maybe they'll do whatever. I want to encourage you, no no matter how dark the world can get, our children, our families, our faith can still grow in dark times. And what all of this shows me time and again, and this is why it's important, is no matter how dark a moment in time can become, God will always shine a light that is brighter still. Amen? 
And so when we look through the news and we scroll through and we read the paper or whatever way you find and connect to the things that are going on, remember in your heart, in your spirit, that God will always shine a light within that that is brighter still. That's what He does. God is never without a plan. He's never without a people. He's never without a purpose. He's never without control. God is in charge. And so I'm here to encourage you. I want to invite you to individually, collectively, even the church, will you shine? I want to ask you, will you shine in this generation? Will you shine in this moment? Or will we decline or will we shine? What are we going to do? We want to make a decision. Because I don't want any more religion, do you? Ireland has enough of religion. We want a dynamic, authentic relationship with the living God. Not a ritual God, a living God. And so I want you to be the ones, will you be the ones that God will use in this generation to reveal faith and hope and love, even if you're the only one, even if you're walking through a dark season, working in a dark place, wherever you find yourself, you can be the light that God uses to shine brighter still in Jesus' name. And here's the way to do it. One point. I've only got one point. I'm going to say it in three different ways. Number one, only one, is this. Let Christ be your light. It's all about Jesus. Just the sign of his name. We've got to let Jesus, let Christ be our light. Let me teach you for a little minute. Samuel, in our text, is a type. Typology, a type of Christ, okay? Let me give you a little bit of explanation of what type is or typology is, okay? Not only does the Old Testament reveal, this is a a quote from Bible.org, okay? Not only does the Old Testament reveal the coming Messiah through prophecy, it also reveals him through typology, okay? And typology refers to historical people or places, objects, events, which foreshadow Christ and his work in the Old Testament. Is that kind of clear? There are people in the Old Testament whose ministry and work and comments and life, they weren't Jesus, they didn't live forever, they weren't perfect, they sinned, they did all of that, but they, they foreshadowed what Jesus was here to do. So Adam, Jesus was the second Adam, Moses, the deliverer, the sacrificial lamb, the blood over the door, all of that stuff, a type, okay? Joseph, Boaz, the kinsman, redeemer. In our story then, we have, we have, of course, Samuel. He is a type of Christ. But here's why I believe he's a type of Christ. And we're back to verse 26. It says, And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with the people. Does that sound vaguely familiar to anyone in the room? Of course it does. It's, what, it's the verse that Luke uses in Luke 2.52 to talk about Jesus when he said, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. It's almost verbatim. It almost copies it. And he's using it to refer to Jesus, the boy in the temple. But open arms, the similarities do not stop there. Samuel and Jesus both had miraculous conceptions, both requiring the intervention of God. Both births produced incredibly prophetic songs and declarations from their mothers. We've got to connect with those. I've got to tell you, when your child is born, you'll, you'll pray some prayers. Amen? We just have a couple recorded here, and they're stunning stuff. And I encourage you, get your teeth into them over the summer. Both were presented to the Lord in the temple. Both were born in the times of religious, social, political, and military decline. But here's the difference. If Samuel was a light to his world... Jesus is the light of the world. Amen? And as Samuel was the king maker, Jesus is the king 
of kings, of kings. That's why Samuel will only ever be a type. And the Bible tells us about the light of Jesus because Samuel died, Asian died, and away he went. But the Bible says about the light of Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, in him, that's Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. Now watch this. And the darkness has not overcome it. And it will never overcome it. Amen? It's fighting talk, isn't it? Even today, with all the stuff going on in the world, and there is a lot that seems to be going on in the world today, nothing can overcome the light of Jesus Christ. I'm going to go try that again. Nothing can overcome the light of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. And this is where this whole thing starts to apex right into your life. This is where it's going to get real for you now. Are you ready? Are you leaning in? Have I got your attention? In the Gospel of John, we begin to encounter many of the I am's of Jesus. That's a great sermon series. John chapter 6, I am the bread of life. That's what Jesus says about himself. Incredible stuff. Jesus made more declarations about himself than any other leader of any other word religion. The only one ever to say, follow me, I am the bread. Don't go do this, don't do it, don't go here, don't go. Jesus says, follow me. You don't do anything, just me. I'm the bread of life, John chapter 10. I'm the gate of the shepherd. Later on, I am the good shepherd, John chapter 11. I am the resurrection and the life, amen. Come on, John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come on, you get your head into that. John 15, I am the true vine. Let's remain connected to the true vine. But of course, there is one more. There's one more of the I ams. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, we already said it. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing? Isn't it wonderful? You will have the light of life. But you know what makes this all the more amazing? It is the only I am that Jesus shares with you. He never refers to you as the good shepherd. You are not the way, the truth, and the life. You are not the gate. You are not the bread. You are not the true vine. But in Matthew 5, verse 14, Jesus says this about you. He says, you are the light of the world. It's the only I am that he shares with you. And if the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world, and that you and I then are the light of the world, then what we have to do is come to a conclusion that there is this prophetic parallel between what Jesus came on earth to do and what Jesus wants us to do on earth. There's a parallel. There's a huge clue. And of course there is. And Jesus goes on to tell us what we are to do with our light. Do you know what you're going to do with your light? Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 15 and 16. He says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light, a light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. Why? And it gives light to everyone in the room. And then some of the most incredible words he ever said. He said, in the same way. 
Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Open arms, individual person. I've got to tell you, this is your time literally to shine for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is your time to shine bright no matter where you find yourself, no matter how hard or how dark or how whatever. Do you know what? In the same way, in the same way as a city on a hill, in the same way as someone lights a lamp and puts it on a stand, it is time to end your shyness. It is time to break some bowls. It is time to break the bowls over your life to let the light loose. Oh, you see in Ireland, we're like, oh, I just turn up, let the Lord work through me. I don't want anybody to see me. I don't want to see anybody. I couldn't be. I honestly, I don't want any. I don't. Not, I don't want to. Oh, I don't want to go to the front. I, I, people will think I am boasting. People, stop it! Stop it! What is your gift? Light a fire under and let the world see it and use it and receive it in Jesus' name. It tells, us, it tells us where the glory goes. They will glorify your Father in heaven. If you're going to point the thing and use it for Jesus, point the thing and use it for Jesus, for his glory. People need to see that Jesus works, that Jesus is alive, and you're it. Amen. You are. We've all that's going for you. Come on, turn to the person beside you and say, you're it. Come on, turn to the person beside you and say, you're God's best hope for where you live. Tell them again, you're God's best hope for where you work. Come on, you are. Let your light shine so they may see your good deeds. What are your good deeds? I can't put that on Instagram. Yes, you can. Oh, they're boasting again. I don't care. I don't care what other people say. If it's light and light and it's pointing to Jesus, light the thing up. Instagram it, story it, reel it, TikTok it, do whatever you got to do with it. I don't care. Put it on the news as long as it's legal in Jesus' name, okay? You want to love some people? Shine a jaw. We've never been more alive in a generation that's got more places to shine and for more people to see it. Yes. I'm tired of bashing social media if we can use it for good. Listen to me here. Listen to me. If the Lord can use a star to direct three pagan astronomers all the way to his son, we can use Instagram to lead people to Jesus. Amen? We can do what we like. Come on, we can, as long as it's legal. Absolutely. But it doesn't stop there. Amen? I want to go out and do prayer walks and Not only does he share his prophetic designation as divine light bearer, Jesus also shares then his purpose through the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. That's your, I don't know what my purpose in life. Go and make disciples of all nations and dry your eyes and shine and get on with it. Then you have his power through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I don't have it. Yes, you do. You're activated by the Spirit of God for gifts of service. Just do small stuff. If you're like a gift of whatever and you're level five, do something that pushes you to a six. If you're a six, go to seven. But whatever you got to do, start pushing out in your gifts. Do you know what your gifts are? Of course you do. Go for it. It's whatever you're good at. That's why it's called a gift. His priesthood. You got his priesthood to stand in society. This is the best bit. We get to stand in society as the conduit between heaven and earth in Jesus' name. So we get this prophetic designation, divine light carrier. We have his purpose built in. We have his power built in. We have his priesthood built in. You're quite a catch. 
You have a lot going on for you right now. You walked in here thinking you'd nothing to give, nothing to do, nothing, nothing, nothing. I am nothing. I've got to tell you, you're a divine light bearer, part of the priesthood, filled with the Spirit of God, ready to release God's purpose on the planet. Amen? That's who you are. That's who Open Arms is. Are you not ready and excited? Who wants summer over? Let's get September in. Let's get stuck into it. Amen? We've got to get on. So what do we do now? Well, I'm going to tell you two things. I told you I had three ways to say the same thing. Number one, we've got to first of all ask Jesus to break our bowl. He says, no one puts a, uh, lights a lamp and puts a bowl over it, unless you're from Ireland. <laughs> unless you're from here, okay? Because we have all of this light, and then we have spiritual shyness. <laughs> Smash it in Jesus' name. Amen? Sometimes we've passed shame bowl over the light, because people knew me from my past, so I'll just keep the light on the dimmer. If they knew who I was, and I'm suddenly giving it all that there and glorifying stuff, they're going to mock me, they'll laugh at me. Smash it at the cross. Past regret, smash that at the cross. Anyone have regret? Smash it. Get rid of the bowl. It's time to go. We're going Greek wedding, okay? We're smashing stuff. Weak faith, smash that as well, okay? Not sure about gifts, indecision, smash it. Just do something nice. Just do something nice this week and shine. Condemnation, whatever it is. What about other bowls? Bowls that other people have put on you. You were nothing. Bowl. Something's happened to you, happened upon your person, happened upon your mind, happened upon your life. These are all things that remind you of your place in life. You've got a bowl over your head. Oh, you might be a sunbeam for Jesus, but you know what? I'm a cloud. That's going to be a bowl that will cover your light. We're going to get rid of that this morning in Jesus' name. Every bowl that every human put upon you, okay, that called you this, that did this, that spoke stuff, said stuff, touched stuff, we're wrecking that and we're getting rid of it because it's time for your gift and it's time for you to shine. We're not having this anymore. No more bowl carrying Christians. That ends. That ends right now. It's time for your light. You're a prophetic light bearer and nothing else will take that away. This is the time. Do you know what? When the world seems hopeless, that we need to prophesy to the pessimism, that we need to speak life and into the darkness, let faith rise. We want to let worship roar. We want to let prayer prevail. We're going to get all Christian. We're going to get all back the basics. We're going to love the word, love each other, worship hard, pray hard, Give hard, do what we gotta do, get rid of the dimmer. It's just on switch and shine. And shine what we're gonna do. And then second thing is this, and then we're done. We're gonna ask Jesus to turn up the heat. We're gonna ask Jesus to turn up the heat. I was praying. You'd be glad to hear a little while ago. In our living room, the kids were all out, Judith was out, one of those rare moments, the dog was in his crate, all quiet in our house, it was fantastic, and I thought, I'll pray. And so we got a living room, it's a decent size, and you can do like a, it's like a living room with a, a dining bit at the back, so you kind of walk right, it's like a lap, okay, it's like Jericho. And so I, I kind of walk, Judith's into these like Yankee candles, you know the candles in a jar? You need to be careful with those, don't you? You could take to them with a the spoon, some of them. It's waxy, but it's nice. You know, you could, like, tasty. I don't, anyway, this, I, I, lit, I lit the candle. I don't know why. I'm not overly candly, you know, but there we go. I thought, I'm praying. I felt holy candles. I thought, I'll light a candle. And uh, it only just burned the wax. There was nothing happening. It was just the candle. Uh, so I, I thought I would do that, and away we went. And I sat down on the sofa near where the candle was, and um, I was praying away. And I started to stir at this candle. 
And, and I, I'm not going to break your, your minds apart here with science by any stretch of the imagination, but this thought, and I'm going to say it was the Holy Spirit, just kind of reminded me that here was this candle in the jar, full of the wax, full of the wick, okay, full of the lovely smell, but unless it had an external source to ignite it, it would never fulfill its purpose. Awesome. Then I go into the end of the study the next day, and I was praying again, like two days in a row. <laughs> it's exhausted. And in, in my, in, on, the, on the desk, I have a pen holder kind of ceramic thing, pens, and in that is like a plastic candle. She kind of got it at a Christmas service. So, you know, it was in a theater, and they wanted to do a little candlelight thing with carols. Of course, they weren't going to light wax naked flame candles in a theater. So they bought these plastic ones. You twisted the top and the light came on and flickered. So I'm praying away. I had that in, in the, in the uh, pen holder thing. I'm praying away. I kid you not, this thing came on by itself. I'm like, oh, <laughs> don't like that stuff. So two days in a row I'm praying. I'm stopping praying. And here we're getting candles, the whole thing. And I just, I just felt... This is another, another reminder from the Lord that, you know what, it doesn't matter whether you're a plastic candle, what type of candle you are. You can be a candle in a jar, okay, with a wick or a candle connected to a battery. Unless something turns and twists or ignites from the outside in, you're never going to come on fire. And I want to encourage you today, you know, we've been through a ton of stuff. Do you know what? In life, in COVID, the past two or three years, and some of you can be tired. Some of you are like, you know, the thought of shining is like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I can't do another thing, whatever. But sometimes we just need an outside source. We need an outside. If I was to try and muster faith, if I was trying to muster my own gift, if I was to try and, you know, muster my own joy, it, it would run out within half an hour. But I want to tell you, if God lights the wick, if God turns the candle, if God connects me to the source if God does it, everybody, then do you know what? There's no stopping it. And I believe this about you. God wants to restore the passionate faith that you used to have. He wants to rejuvenate you with the, with the fire and the potential of God so that you can shine your light. Because I don't want you to leave this room thinking, oh, I've got to shine my light. What way can I do that? You know what? In a second, we're going to pray for God to light your candle to light you up. Well, we are in a second. We really are. And here's a verse that, and then I'm, I'm finished. Psalm 92 verse 10 says this. The psalmist writes, you've exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. And then he says, fine oils have been poured on me. Psalm 92 is all about how Israel's tired, how the church is tired, how Christians are tired, how the people are looking at the bad people getting away with good stuff and and then there's us, we're tired. And then he turns and he says, but you have exalted my horn, my strength, like that of a wild ox. The image here is of a young ox, okay, and I can't do it right, but it's like a wild ox who's that excited, it gets his head, you know, just that kind of head, but it's, like that, it's the wildness, the vigor of it all. And here's why. The psalmist says, you've poured fine oils. What makes the oil fine in this verse is that the oil it's new oil. God doesn't want you to go into September with last year's oil. He wants to give you 2022 oil that rejuvenates, that restores, that replaces so that you can shine your light. Amen. So come on, I'm going to pray for you. The guys are going to come back up. And as they come back, why don't we stand? Let's just stand right now this morning. I'm going to activate a few things here.
Lord Jesus. Come on. Why don't we bow our heads? We'll close our eyes. Come on, watch your bowl. I don't need to labor on the fact that you have a light. You're the light of the world. Come on, you've got to tell your spirit, you've got to tell your soul, I'm the light of the world. So Jesus says, come on, don't think thoughts about you that Jesus would not think about you. Think thoughts about you that Jesus would think about you. And one of those thoughts is that you are the light of the world. So watch your bowl. We need to smash some things up in this church this morning. We need to smash some things up in your life. Weak faith, fearful faith, condemnation, regret, guilt. The bowl of abuse, the bowl of fear, the bowl of shyness, the bowl of failure, the bowl of I've tried that once, I'm not doing that again. The bowl of unbelief, I have no gift, I have nothing to give. Here's what I want you to do. Whatever your bowl is, in, in your mind's eye now, in your mind's eye, I want you to put two, so imagine the bowl's on your head, okay? Work with me. Imagine the bowl's on your head. I want you to bring your, in your mind, in your head, I want you to put two hands on the side of your bowl and I'm going to count to three and we're going to lift it. And you're going to stand like that. In your head, don't have to put your hands up physically, but in your mind, we're going to lift the bowl off your head. So if you're ready to take that bowl off, in Jesus' name. Come on, lift that. Lift it off right now. One, two, three. Just lift it off and hold it above your head. I'm going to count to three and then we're going to smash it. We're going to smash it at the feet of Jesus. So one, two, three. Come on, cast that bowl at the feet. Do you see it shatter? Do you see it shatter? you know what by faith I can see lights beginning to flicker all around the room because bowls are lifted and broken right now and so Father as we as we close we pray Holy Spirit you would come right now and begin to intensify the heat Lord would you turn up the heat would you turn up the flame we're not content to be dimmed we're not going to be dim believers Lord turn up the heat fill us with your spirit come on if you're, if you're willing pop your hands out in front of me in front of you, forgive you. In front of me, just go ahead. And say, just receive the fine oil. Lord, would you release the fine oil? Come on. Right around the room, Lord. Every hand, every heart, come on, every room, everyone who's comfortable, everyone who's willing. Lord, right around the room, just reveal and release the fine oil in Jesus' name. Come on. We'll receive it by faith, church, not by feelings. Come on. I receive the new oil. New oil for a new season, new oil for a new day. Oil that will restore me, oil that will rejuvenate me, that Lord will intensify the heat and the light and the gifts of God that I carry. Lord, ignite my priesthood, ignite, Lord, my purpose, ignite, Lord, the path of the Holy Spirit that I carry. Ignite my light, Lord, that I will shine in this world. No matter what my world is, no matter how dark my world seems, in Jesus, I will be the light to my world.